So, uh, yeah, good to be here on, uh, you know, so many people are sick as well, uh, the flu bug, and uh, of course we know it's, um, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, so thank you for being here. Uh, truly do uh, appreciate the fact that we can be here together to, to worship the Lord. Um, when, when, we hear, when we hear the word worship, when you hear the word worship, what is the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? Is it, is it, is it God himself? Is it joy? Is it, is, it, um, is it the Sunday morning worship service? I mean, when you hear worship, you're thinking worship service, and automatically you think Sunday morning worship service. Or is it a part or an element of the worship service? When you hear the word worship, you think song or singing or the preaching of God's word or the celebration of God's, you know, or, or the Lord's Supper. Or I remember asking a teenager this once, and they, I said, what, when you think of the, of, of the worship service, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And, and he said, doxology. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. That was, uh, <laughs> doxology, the very last song you sing in the worship service. That's what he thought about. So uh, we, we think about worship this morning, and I love this, I love this uh, quote from um, a, a pastor Raymond Brown, he says, worship is more vocal, is more than vocal. Participation in a public service as we offer prayers, sing hymns and songs, hear readings, make offerings, and listen to Christian preaching. And then he says this, it is the total submission of all that we have and are to everything we know of God. That is a beautiful definition of worship. It is the total submission of all that we have and are to everything we know of God. I love the, the Heidelberg Catechism, or excuse me, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer number one. It, it doesn't contain the word worship, but it, it's, it's beautiful. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We, we think of worship, the thought that, that we are to glorify God and then we can enjoy him forever. Just, uh, just beautiful. Well, this morning, the, the thought this morning message centers on worship. And I would like to just have us think through what is really acceptable worship? Acceptable worship. That's the title for the message. And our text is Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, page 408 in your Bibles. But before we go there, just a, just a little bit of context here. I thought about Nehemiah. We, we are doing a series of messages in Nehemiah, and we say Nehemiah. And I know that there are probably some people in the audience who are saying, Nehemiah, hmm, Nehemiah, this Old Testament, this part of the Bible, Nehemiah, historically, history, where does Nehemiah fit in this story, the Old Testament story? And so, um, so a, a real brief history here, cliff notes on Old Testament history. Abraham, Father Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ. Moses, 1,400 years before Christ. 
David, King David, 1,000 years before Christ. The king before David was Saul. The king after David was Solomon. During that time, those three kings, they rule over one nation. The people of God were one nation. But after Solomon, David's son, the kingdom divided. The kingdom divided. There was family feud, family fiction, friction, this brokenness, sin, and the nation of Israel, the nation of, of God's people, broke into two. Ten tribes in north Israel, two tribes in the south. This is again right after Solomon. Let's go 950 or so BC. The northern tribes, you find all this history in 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. The, the, the northern tribes, Israel, 10 tribes, it, we read in scripture that not one of their leaders, not one, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And we read there that in 722, 722 BC, the Assyrians came in, captured them, and took them away. The northern tribes, Judah, the two tribes there, Judah and Dan, Judah and Benjamin, they did have some kings that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and they lasted a little bit longer, but toward the end of, of their reigns, they also did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they were led off into captivity at 586. There's a 70-year captivity a 70-year captivity. At the end of those seven years, waves of Jewish people were allowed to return. 816, excuse me, 516, early 400s, Zerubbabel, Ezra came 13 years before Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah, and that's our story. And then after Nehemiah, there's a prophet Malachi, Malachi is the last book in the Bible. Again, round numbers 400. So Nehemiah comes toward the end of Old Testament history as we know it. He comes after that captivity, after God's people were scattered, and then God brought them back. Through Ezra, the temple was rebuilt. Now through Nehemiah, through Nehemiah, the walls are finally rebuilt. And that's where we are in the story. And so we're now, we're picking it up, we're picking it up in chapter 12. We're picking it up in chapter 12, and we read there in um, verse 27. Verse 27, we read there the dedication of the wall. The dedication of the wall. It's a great celebration, very similar to last week's sermon on, on celebration as well, chapter 8. But here we have the dedication of the wall. I'm going to read a number of verses, 27 through 47. The word of the Lord. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophilites and from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Gaz Azmeveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purify themselves and they purify the people and the gates 
and the wall. Then they brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. We pick it up now in verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of ovens and to the broad wall. And then we see verse 40, and both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me. And then a summary, verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, we're appointed over the storerooms and contributions, the first fruits and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. God's reading for us this morning. Again, quite a, quite a history here, quite a history. And, and this morning, the, the theme here is worship, acceptable worship. And I'd just like to look at a few things. What, what does acceptable worship, what does that really truly include? And, and the first thought is that it includes celebration. Celebration is an obvious thought here. The, the walls are complete. The walls are complete, and we read that in verse 27 again. And at the dedication of the wall, the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites of all their places, from all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. A celebration, a great celebration. It is time to celebrate. And again, we, we think of um, chapter 8, also a time of festivities. And I mentioned last week, we, we think of Ecclesiastes verse um, 3, chapter 3, verse 4. There's a time to weep, and a time to laugh. There's a time to, to mourn. There's a time to dance. And now for the people of Israel, one more time. It is time, my word, it's time to dance. It's time to celebrate. It's time to give thanks to the Lord. And, and again, as I mentioned last week, it's remarkable. These city walls were down for years, 70-year captivity. But even the first waves of Jewish people that had come back, Ezra, 13 years before Nehemiah, the walls were down, broken, a sign of weakness a sign of weakness. And so here comes Nehemiah, and here comes Nehemiah, the spirit of living God is upon him, and he rallies the troops, and they rebuild the walls in how many days? 52 days. Isn't that remarkable? 52 days. 
Once again, it, it's, it's amazing to me when people are united, when people are on the same page, when people have purpose and aim, it's remarkable what we can do. And so the walls are rebuilt. And so it's time, once again, to celebrate, as I mentioned. And, and the word celebration is an interesting word, to celebrate. I looked up in the dictionary here uh, this past week, and it says to, to joyfully celebrate, to joyfully acknowledge a significant person or event. Well, here, the event, of course, is the dedication of the wall, the rebuilt wall. But the person, or better yet, the person behind the wall, better yet, God is behind that wall. God is to be celebrated, and God is celebrated. Nehemiah and the people of God here are not just worshiping walls, grateful for the walls, but they're worshiping God, the God who made it happen, the God who made this possible. And so they're wor worshiping the God, the creator God. They're worshiping the God who delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt through Moses. They're, they're worshiping this God, the redeemer God, who, who brought these people back from captivity. That God is a God of promise, a God of redemption. He keeps his word. This God is faithful to his word. This God keeps his word, and he's good. And here we are. The temple is rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. And we find that through this text, chapter 8, last week. The joy of the Lord. So much celebration. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. In, in our text here, we, we read in, in verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great rejoice. Rejoicing. And so God, God is the object of our celebration. But what a celebration it is here. It's really actually kind of a hard text to kind of, for us to kind of comprehend in many ways. The joy here in the city, verse 27, with gladness it says. In verse 43, I read that verse, there's five there's five times joy or rejoice is, 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 is written, spoken. Five times in one verse. It's great joy, and it's loud, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And, and then we think here, not only joy, but the, the instruments. Verse 27, cymbals are there, harps are there, lyres are there. Uh, in verse 37, 5, 35, we have trumpets. And then, and, then we, and then we have this interesting thought about the choirs. There are two choirs. And, and, and you, you realize the preparation involved here. There's preparation in worship. It's not all this spontaneous praise. They're preparing and there's preparation. But two choirs. And the walls need to be rather wide. Rather wide. And there's a procession. A choir that, that goes this way around the city. <laughs> and there's a, there's a procession and choirs that go this way around the city. Again, singers singing, music, instruments. Try to picture yourself in that city and, and, hearing, and hearing the noise and, and maybe even being able to see one of the choirs. 
and then maybe hearing the other choir, a joyful noise. The whole city is involved, and, and these choirs, they start together, they go around the city, they end up one area, and then they finally top, and they finally, verse 40, meet at the temple. And so there is, there is a great rejoicing. The word thanksgiving in our text, the word thanksgiving and giving thanks occurs over and over and over again. In, in verse 27, verse 31, verse 38, verse 40, verse 46. Interesting to me, joy, joy. If you think of that, that spiritual characteristic, that emotion, for, for us as believers, it's associated with gratitude. Just think about that, just ponder that. Joy is usually associated with gratitude. Thank you, Lord. There's a reason to rejoice then. There's a reason to rejoice. And that's what we have here. The gratitude is for God himself, for his redeeming grace, his benevolence, his mercy and kindness. So acceptable worship here in this passage is that we celebrate. We truly rejoice in what God has done for us. The, the second thought about acceptable worship is this word dedication. Verse 30, verse 30, we read this. We read, and the priests and the Levites purify themselves, and they purify the people and the gates and the walls. That's, that's, that's unique. Many people have, have thought about that verse here. That, that idea of purify, the act of, and the ceremony of purification, what, 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 does that, what does that entail? Well, scholars are not on the same page here, not quite, not quite sure what that purification rite would be. Was, was, it, um, was it that sacrifices were made for certain sins, um, certain scriptures recited or acknowledged? What does it mean to purify gates and walls and peoples? Again, not quite sure. But the word dedicate itself means to devote something or someone to a particular subject or purpose. And here the idea is, here it means that we assign something or someone to God for his purposes and for his glory. And so when a person is dedicated, the person is set aside, or when a thing is dedicated, set aside. And set aside, idea of holy, the word holiness means to be set aside. Someone, something is set aside, dedicated to God, again, for his ministry, for his purposes, for his glory. Now, what's very, very important for us to see in the Old Testament there are many, many ceremonial rites, R-I-T-E-S, many rites. These rites, though, though external, always had an inward focus. It's always interesting to see that and read that in the Old Testament. Old Testament rites, they always had the heart in focus, the person's heart, the inner being, the inner person. God was always, Old Testament and New Testament, always concerned about the heart of the worshiper. Never intended someone just to go through the motions and with their heart sideways. The ceremony itself was to remind, always to remind the individual of some aspect of God's grace and redemption and what he had done for them. 
And that's what we have here. Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 16 through 17, For you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's not New Testament, that's Old Testament. Both Testaments, God's after the heart. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Isaiah, or turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Really remarkable here, what Isaiah says about, about worship and what God is really after. Isaiah 1 verse 10, I'm reading a number of verses here. And, and notice what he says in verse 10, Isaiah the prophet, again, he's coming, the, the people, this is before the captivity and people were going south in their relationship with God. Isaiah comes and notice what he says in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. <laughs> the people of Israel, the people of God are being compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has acquired of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense is an abomination to me, new moons and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. What a strong. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. But notice, this is what God is after. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fathers, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, although they are red like crimson, crimson, they will become like wool. All the new, God's always after the heart. And we have that here too. We have to ask ourselves this dedication, this, this idea of being dedicated to God, this thought of being completely set aside to God for his service. Is that, is that part of our thinking? Is that part of the, the church today? Something to wrestle with and think through. You know, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we, um, we, we, we are acknowledging, we are acknowledging this greatness. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we've kneeled before him, before the cross. We've seen his grace, we see his greatness, his beauty, we see our own sin and our sinfulness. We, we acknowledge and see that, again, he is the sinless one, the sinless son of man. We are guilty. He took our guilt, our sin, laid it upon him, himself. 
and paid atonement, and atonement was made. And, and, and through his atonement, through the shedding of blood, <laughs> I, I, I am forgiven. And we have forgiveness. He's our savior. He's our savior. And um, again, uh, um, you know, by his stripes, we were healed. But when, when we look at scriptures, though, we, we realize that, that Jesus, God as savior, is just only part of it, isn't it? He's also Lord. He's also Lord. I, I, I like what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 1. He says this, very first few ver words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant. And that, that word servant in Greek can be translated as slave in your ESV Bibles you have. You'll see that in footnote. It could be slave or bond servant. Paul, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus. Romans 6, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and, and eternal life. Followers of Jesus Christ, interesting, we, we are slaves. I, 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 it's, it's a term that we're not maybe comfortable with, maybe because of our history here in America. But yet Paul says, in Christ, a servant, a slave to him. He's the master. I'm the servant. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. It's, it's remarkable. It's powerful. I, I, I just think again of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, Paul says, hey, you're, you're not your own. You, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So now glorify God in your body. We're at, we're at God's service. Now this act of dedication, I think, is really ex just extremely important today. And, and again, I, it, it might vary how we do that. Maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's confession. <laughs> Perhaps it's kneeling here or in your closet or wherever it may be. But the, but the idea of dedication is very important today. I, I, I think it's something that we should do on a continual basis a continual basis. And when we're dedicating ourselves again to God, when we're devoting ourselves to God, once again we're saying that, Lord, I'm, I'm here, you're the master, I'm here for your purposes. I'm here for your ministry, for your mission, and, and, and for your aim and your, your glory, to, to make you great. That's, that's what it's all about. And so what we're saying, and, and, and again, this is my own words too, maybe a prayer, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm totally yours, I'm your slave, your will be done. Your will, your, your, your will, your commands, your wishes, you're the master, whatever it may be, whatever that may be, I bow my will to yours. Lord, my, my time, because again, you're the master. You're the one who redeemed me and delivered me and you've given me new life. I'm yours. My time is yours. My resources, my wallet, my purse, they're yours. My gifts and abilities, the ones that you've given me, Father God, they're yours for your service. And because you're the master and I'm the, the slave, the servant, Lord, Wherever you call me, 
I will go. Wherever you want me to live, I will go. Where you want me to work and serve, I will go. You're the master. I'm the slave. And then, and then this is really big. Master, my agenda, <laughs> it's not about me. So I lay that at your feet at the cross. Your agenda, not mine. I, I again lay myself before you. May, may you increase in my life. May I decrease in my life. Not my will be done. Father God, Lord, your will be done. I'm yours. A sacrifice to you because of all that you've done for me. Now that's big, but that's what dedication means. And it's interesting that this dedication came before the celebration. And so there's something about how we completely just empty ourselves before God, humble ourselves before him and say, more of you, Lord, more of you in my life, and I'm here for you. Thank you for everything you've done. Now I live for you. Dedication. Thinking that through today. Thinking that through during the week in our lifetime to rededicate and dedicate ourselves to God. But then notice also another element to worship here, another component in this passage, the cost. The cost. We, we, we find that in verses 44 through 47. It's a very, very interesting uh, text there. It seems like Nehemiah kind of seizes the moment of what's taking place in the city, and he seizes the moment, and he has an opportunity to give instruction, and it's this. What he's saying is that corporate worship will, will, will include cost and sacrifice. I'd like, like to read those verses one more time for you. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 44 and passing there, 44 and on. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. I'll just end there. But remarkable, remarkable that corporate worship includes cost and sacrifice. I, I like what one pastor said here. It's one thing to shout on a great occasion, but another, another to offer the sacrifice of praise continually and to make realistic provision for the church's need. It's one thing to say hallelujah and celebrate in one given time, but it's quite another to continue that celebration as the body of Christ. And that's what's happening here. The Old Testament's very clear, very clear on this. The people of God pool their resources, pool their resources to support temple worship, the temple staff, and the giving of alms to the poor. 
And, and we find that in the Old Testament. There, there's so many texts. I, I won't read them all uh, this morning for you, but you, you find them Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Again, the Old Testament ties support temple worship, support the staff, and then the means to give to the poor. And we have a number of interesting verses in Nehemiah 10 on that too. We, we, we passed really quickly over chapter 9, 10, and 11 here. But in chapter 8, uh, the people of God rediscovered the word of God. And in chapter, there's great rejoicing. In chapter 9, there's confession. In chapter 10, interesting enough, the people seal a written covenant. Write a written covenant and seal it and sign it. And, and, and the leaders do, but also the people. And then toward the end of chapter 10, there's all these regulations about how they're to support the temple worship and the temple staff. And it's remarkable. I'll let you read that on your own. But the end of verse 39, what did the people do? We will not neglect the house of our God. And so they're joyful. They're, 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 they're thankful they can do this. So tithing to support worship and, and staff and, and, the, and the poor found throughout the Old Testament. Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. Interesting, in the New Testament, this carries on in the New. We think of Acts chapter 2 and 4 and 6. They're Jewish converts. Think about that. The, the, the first converts to Christianity, many, many, many of them were Jewish people. And so they, there's a context. They knew their Old Testament scriptures. This, this wasn't new for them. And, and we read that, Acts 4 verse 32 now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, as, for as many as were owners of lands and, and, and houses sold them and, and brought the proceeds of, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each in any who had need. So common, so similar to the Old Testament understanding. Acts 11, verse 29 and 30, the church in Antioch, they hear about a famine in Judah and, and notice what they do, they do there. So the, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they did so, sending it to the leaders, elders, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Then we read in 1 Corinthians 9, interesting, it's a, it's a Gentile context, non-Jewish context. So, so Paul has to do a little bit of teaching to help them understand that this is an Old Testament principle about supporting against the community of believers, worship, staff, and the poor. And he writes, 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel 
should get their living by the gospel. And we have something very similar in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I have to, I have to admit that when preachers, myself, when we read and teach on passages like this, we always get a little... Little, little strange within, within ourselves. You know, it, it seems like these texts are pointing to ourselves and, 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 and we are, are we beating up the congregation? And, and so these different emotions happen. And, and I wrestled with that this past month, this past week. I really did. And I thought, you know, I came, I really believe the Lord, Lord helped me through this. Andy, it's really not about you here. It's about the text. It's about the text. What, what took place in, in Nehemiah chapter 12? What took place in the Old Testament? What took place in the New Testament? The community of believers supporting one another. And, and so I, I thought, yeah, that's right. I'm faithful to the text. It's not about me. It's about God's word. And so scripture is very clear here. God's people pool their resources. Once again, worship, staff, giving to the poor, Ministry may continue, mission may continue, it, it, and it's remarkable. And here, one more time, it's remarkable what happens when people get on the same page. It's remarkable when everyone has the same purpose. It's remarkable what a small group of people, a large group of people, when they're in this together, the community, the body of believers, pooling their resources, it's amazing what we can do, what God can do through us. And that's one of our dreams. Ryan has talked about this very often. To be a church planting, we are a church plant, to be a church planting church. So that we can pull our resources and, and gather resources so that we can continue God's purpose and his mission. When God's people get on the same page, it's amazing what can take place. Amazing what we can build. Amazing what we can do. And that's what we find. Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And it's really, it's just beautiful here. So some of you are probably asking, Andy, why are you spending so much time in this? Well, one, one thought is because next week it's going to be picked up again in chapter 13. And the other thought here is just, it's just me, just me a little bit here. But I, but I really do believe that biblical community, body life, is difficult for some of us to understand. Maybe it's our culture, our rugged individualism in, in America. It's the me first. And what we have done in some circles, not all Christian circles, but in some circles, we, we have this idea of personal salvation you know, to God, very, very important, me, myself, and my Bible, but it's kind of divorced from the fact that I commit myself and throw in my towel with a body of believers, that we do life together. The one another passages, you hear us say this so often at New City Church, to accept one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, to even admonish one another. We don't like that one. But we're bo the body of Christ together that I support. That's, that's just in the Bible. It's just not, not an option. This is important, my relationship with Jesus. 
But this idea of belonging and committing myself to a body, it's just, again, it's, it's, not, it's not an option. Sometimes I think we act like spiritual free agents. It's like, I'm just gonna, me, myself, and I, spiritually, I can just do what I wanna do. Just so foreign in New Testament, and the New Testament when we read through the New Testament. And so, I'm reminded, as I said earlier, it's remarkable what we can do, the body of believers, when we're on the same page. And we're, we're all coming together to, to support this body of believers for worship and ministry and God's ministry and mission and church planting and all the ministry that takes place here, worship and staff and the giving of our monies to, for poor. It, it's just beautiful to do that. God's design. Old and New Testament, God's design. So, so proper worship, worship, acceptable worship, at least from this passage, includes celebration, dedication, and there's a cost. What is worship? Worship is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him forever. It is the total submission of all that we have and are to something we know of God, to everything that we know of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. And uh, Lord, your, your word is um, so beautiful. And dear Heavenly Father, your your word, as we mentioned last week too, is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has a way of just piercing our thoughts and piercing our minds. But Father, we're, we're, we're your children, and so we sit under the word, your, your spirit. And so Father, we, we pray that you will just keep us humble, that we will be always open to, to hear and, and, and new truth from your word, that we'll be willing to be stretched from your word, that, that we're willing to take some of our own thoughts and really lay them before you and, and to say, are these really from you, Lord, or are they just my own conceived thoughts? But I can lay everything before you. Father, thank you for worship, and thank you that we can celebrate, that we can dedicate ourselves to you. We're, we're here for you. And thank you, Father, that we can give to your church body so that through the church body we may make, we may make much of your name, that, that we may do mission and ministry for your honor and for your glory. We are set apart. We have been set aside for you. Our prayer, Lord, is that New City Church will be yours. Father, have your way, your will with us. Have your way with us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.